Welcome to Res Talk, your source for the latest news, opinions, and training from top building performance, rating, and auditing experts. Here's your host, committed building science enthusiast and registered professional engineer, Bill Spohn. Welcome back to another episode of the Res Talk podcast. It's the goal of this podcast to communicate late breaking news and thoughtful insights about the broad array of topics in the rapidly expanding world of residential energy ratings to the total array of stakeholders in the ResNet ecosystem. To the ResNet community, we hear you and wish to engage. I'm your host, Bill Spohn, and today we have the pleasure of speaking with Ryan Mears. So the code development process is complex and time-consuming, yet the results drive so much of the work done by raters. Insights into this process from a knowledgeable guide are immensely valuable. So we'll be talking today with Ryan Mears, Program Director of ResNet, about the changes coming in the 2021 edition of the International Energy Conservation Code, the IECC. He reviews for us the key results of the latest changes that will impact the HERS raters and the builders they work with. We'll start off with a quick overview of the code development process, move into a discussion of the incorporation of the 2019 versions of the standards 301 and 380. We'll also get into a good discussion over the details on what's happening to the ERI, including an insider's explanation of the voting process and why the performance path seems to be the trend. It's a cool note, Ryan was a co-author of the original ERI. Now you'll find details about the differences between ERI and the HERS index scores in a link provided in the show notes. So let's get on and have a chat with Ryan about the impact of the energy code changes on HERS raters and builders. Ryan, how you doing? Good. Hi, Bill. It's good to be back again. Yeah, it is. We got to see each other face-to-face a little over a month ago at the conference. That was a good thing. And today, the topic we'll be talking about, the impact of recent energy code changes, how it'll impact HERS raters and builders. But we just spoke before we started here and thought it'd be a good idea to give a couple minutes overview and best to be given by you, not me, <laughs> of the code development process. It's kind of gnarly detailed, but you do it so well. So give us an overview, please. Yeah, so anyone can submit a proposal to the International Code Council or ICC on to propose a code change, and the codes are updated every three years. And after you submit those proposals, the first real hearing that you get is in front of a committee, and that committee is responsible for taking action on that proposal, and they may approve it or disapprove it, or they may modify it and then approve it. After that's done, everything goes out for public comment period that after the everyone submits their public comments, that kind of sets the agenda for the next hearing, which is the public comment hearing. And at that hearing, there's basically a review of all of the public comments that were submitted. And then that sets the online voting agenda. The voting members of ICC are code officials, state and local code officials, fire officials, state energy offices, basically governmental entities that are involved some way with code development or code adoption. And then they're all able to vote online for what proposals eventually get approved or disapproved to create the next version of the code. So would you say just in general, does the code continue to get more intricate, better layered? Is it heading in a direction just in general? For the energy code in particular, it's been getting much more dense the entire residential provisions of the energy code in 2006 could be printed in about three or four pages. And now it's probably 10 times that for the residential provisions. So the code is getting 
more complex. Part of that is that there are more options like the energy rating index that we'll discuss today. And part of it's just as a matter of being tested in the field and more people getting involved with the code process, things get changed, more details get put in. So it's not always not necessarily a bad thing, but it is getting thicker and a little bit more difficult to comprehend all the provisions. So let's walk through some of the changes and updates that have been done. And let's talk about 301 and 380, those two standards first. Yeah. So standard 301 and 380 are both referenced in the current version of the International Energy Conservation Code or the IECC, as I'll refer to it. So 301 and 380 were both referenced in the 2018 version, which is the most recent version of the code that is published. ResNet did went through an update process for standard 301. So standard 301 is the energy rating index standard. And then standard 380 addresses duct and, and envelope leakage testing and some other airflow testing. So we did submit proposals to update those from the 2014 version to the 2019 version. And those proposals did go through. That is good news. The most recent versions of 301 and 380 will be referenced in the 2021 code when it is published. And A few of the changes in 301, it includes the house size adjustment factor, improved calculations for domestic hot water. It also recognizes advances in lighting, like LEDs, as well as the calculations for multifamily dwelling units. So it's good. A lot of these changes, raters are already used to because they come out in addendum as the standards are updated through, through modifications in the interim, before we do an entire update, we come out with addendum and those get published and then there's an implementation period. But that doesn't affect the code. The code is only can reference the standard that was in effect at the time the code was adopted. So it doesn't include all those other addendum that were adopted after the code had already been in place. So the code kind of catches up every three years. Is that true? Yeah. So it's a three-year cycle. And and in our case, for our standards, we're on a five-year development cycle. So there is some lag. And when that does happen, it doesn't always line up perfectly. But in this case, we were able to get that updated because those standards were finalized. So let's talk about the ERI a little bit, because that seems to be the most one of interest, highest one of interest. Yep. Some of the changes that happened there. Yeah. Yeah. So in the ERI, it may be helpful. Let me provide a little bit of historical context because I have been involved with the ERI since before I came to ResNet. Actually, when I worked at the Institute for Market Transformation, we did work with Eric Mackle actually, and him and I basically co-authored the original proposal, which became the Energy Rating Index. And that was back in 2013. And the first time the ERI made it into the code was the 2015 version of the IECC. At that time, it did not have a reference standard. So standard 301 is not referenced in the 2015 code because it was not it had not been published yet. It hadn't been finalized. So standard 301 is not referenced in the 2015 code. It was eventually referenced in the 2018 code. There's been this slow progression on ERI. The 2015 was kind of the very basics of it. But as we've gone through the development cycle, things get changed. And so this year in particular, for this cycle, I should say, which will determine the 2021 IECC, there were some pretty significant changes, which unfortunately really make the energy rating index very stringent and not likely to be used uh, compliance option in the energy code. One of the reasons for that is the changes they ultimately got approved. And one of those was a change that actually decreases the scores and makes the compliance more stringent because the target scores 
were decreased to from a 51 to a 55. So that's the, depending on your climate zone, your ERI target score will be between a 51 and a 55 as it was approved. And that was a proposal that was actually disapproved during the committee process by a 10 to 1 vote. But later in online voting, they overturned the committee, which happened numerous times actually during this cycle, which and it's very rare that a committee decision like that gets overturned completely during the online voting. And, and it happened numerous times during this particular development cycle. Is that causing any upsetment, heartburn? It is actually. And as a matter of fact, there is an appeal. So ICC, after they do the online voting, they have an automatic auditing procedure just to basically look at the results. Make sure that there was no Russian involvement, we'll say, in the voting process. Make sure there was no collusion or anything fishy going on in terms of the who was voting and the number of votes on different proposals. So they have this process where they audit the results of the voting. And there was an appeal filed, and I'm not sure of all the details of it, but there was an appeal filed with ICC to question the results of the online voting. I don't believe that that appeal has been finalized yet or action has been taken on it, but it was submitted. And so ICC will have to go through a review process to see if the appeal is valid, the concerns that were submitted to basically reject the online voting results. That's still pending, but know that everything that I'm explaining here is what came out of the online vote and know that there is some possibility that if the appeal is successful, some of this could be overturned. Do you want to talk any more about the differences between the ERI score and the HERS index score? Or does that kind of cover it? Yeah, let me go through a few of the other changes that got through. One of them is a proposal that got approved that limits the renewable energy production. Renewable energy has really been a, a lightning rod in the ERI. It's kind of safe to say the 2015 was silent. It didn't say anything about renewable energy, but kind of by default, the HERS rating allows the impact of renewable energy. So kind of by default, it was assumed that the ERI therefore allowed renewable energy there was a proposal that got approved that limits the renewable energy production to reduce no more than 5% of your total energy use. So if you put enough solar on your roof to offset, say, 10% of the home's energy use, you could only get credit for 5% of the solar that you put on the roof. So that was one. There's a couple others. One of them is, it's actually a proposal that applied to all the compliance paths and ERIs included in there. It's been around a while, this proposal, and it was it hadn't been successful for two or three code cycles now, but it did get approved, and it's typically been referred to as the flex points proposal. So basically, if you're doing the prescriptive path compliance, it says you need to choose a few of these options. Maybe you need to do more insulation or high-efficiency equipment or better windows or whatever it may be. The builder has options to choose from, and they have to meet a certain number of points based on those options. For the ERI path, it means that you have to reduce your target score by 5%. So this means that the mandatory ERI target scores are actually going to range from a 48 to a 52, depending on climate zone, which is quite significant and not easy for a lot of builders to hit. I've started doing some analysis over the last few months on homes that are net zero ready. And I looked at a 18 months worth of data for HERS rated homes that got a 48 or less. And over that 18 month period, which included all of 2018 and basically half of 2019, there was only around a little over 8,000 homes that were in that 48 or less category. So compared to 
well over 300, 350,000 homes that would have been raided during that period. You're looking at a very small percentage that are able to get down to that 48 or less. So to have a code that has ERI targets that are down that low is going to be difficult. And it just means that HERS raiders are going to choose a different option, really. They can choose to use the performance path or even the prescriptive path, whatever's most cost-effective for their the builder clients that they're working with. The implementation of this is, I mean, this is coming out in 2021, for where it's coming down hard is the rule? Yeah. So the code is expected to be published because of the appeal. I think it's going to be pushed a little bit later. The COVID-19 pandemic may even have a little more impact there as well. I think it's going to be the earliest we'll probably see the 2021 code published is going to be in the fall of this year. And then once it's published, states can start looking at it for adoption. If the 2021 is, I'm getting the impression that 2021 is going to be viewed similarly to the way the 2012 code was published. So there was a big increase in stringency from the 2009 to the 2012 IECC. And many states chose not to adopt the 2012 code. They waited until the 2015 was published or some of them until the 2018. So it really depends on the state in terms of what process they have for code adoption. Some states will adopt the code every three years, and some of them will skip a cycle and adopt the code every six years. So even after it's published later this year, we likely won't see the first state that really adopts and implements this until at the earliest late. 2021, but most likely 2022 and beyond before states really start adopting this code. And obviously they can always, they can choose to make amendments as well, and they may do away with some of the improvements that got passed. So just total uh, speculation here, are there, from your experience, which states usually tend to adopt sooner rather than later? Can you say? Just experience. Yeah. One of the earliest states is Maryland. And it's been a while since I've really been heavily involved in code adoption. But in Maryland, Maryland had a statute, and I, I don't know that it's still in place, but I think it is. They had a statute which required that they review the code every three years. And I believe it also stated that it had to be within a certain number of months after the code is published, they have to review it and propose it for adoption. So Maryland has been one of the early adopters for the energy codes. And if that statute is still in place, I would expect that to be the case as well. And you did do another blog post where you talked about the differences in detail between ERI and HERS index score. And I'll put that in the show notes for anyone. And also they can just go to the ResNet blog on the site and, and find that information there and look it up. But you went into quite a bit of detail there to explain the differences. Yeah, there are a lot of differences between HERS and ERI and that we got a lot of good feedback on that blog post. And I'd point out one of the biggest differences is this misconception that the ERI path requires quality assurance. That's really the biggest misconception we're seeing among code officials. They think because it's ERI that it's also HERS, and that's not necessarily the case. So if a home could comply and submit for code compliance with the ERI but if it doesn't get submitted to ResNet as a HERS rating, then we have no QA on that home. We don't know that the home was ever done. So therefore, we can't provide any quality assurance. That's one of the biggest misconceptions, uh, I think, between ERI and HERS. There's a lot. You have a nice matrix there of the parallels and the differences. And then some of the differences are no and yes. Yeah. <laughs> very, very <laughs> black and white there. So again, that's a good resource. So some of the other changes you mentioned here, we talked about, or you mentioned your blog post about the C96 allowing the testing of dwelling and sleeping unit enclosures. Do you want to get into that a little bit? 
Yeah, so this was an interesting one, and this is in, actually in the commercial section of the IECC, but it is important because it does relate back to standard 380, and it allows it references standard 380 and allows testing to be done based on CFM per square foot instead of ACH 50, and it also specifies a limit not to exceed 0.3 CFM per square foot of enclosure area. So it for dwelling units, and many raters are familiar with this, it gets very difficult to reach the ACH 50 number with such a small enclosure area like a dwelling unit has, small apartment or a condo. So this really, it makes it more appropriate for the testing of dwelling units to be able to use the CFM per square foot as opposed to air changes per hour. So that's really the benefit to that. I think raters will like that option to be able to test to CFM per square foot. And there is another proposal, the RE223 about achieving net zero energy homes? This was actually an interesting one. It's an appendix. And the important thing about an appendix in the code is that it's not in effect unless it's adopted by either the state or the local jurisdiction that adopts the code. So appendix are basically viewed as an optional portion of the code, but they're important because they often help set the direction for the code. So that's where I see this appendix fitting in. And from the time I got involved with the ERI work, I've always said the biggest benefit to ERI in the code is that it provides that pathway to net zero. None of the other compliance options do that. This appendix actually directly references standard 301. It actually, there's another issue of in the 2018 code of ventilation. There were some changes made to the reference home ventilation, which increase the ERI by anywhere from two to eight points, depending on climate zone. This proposal actually bypassed that issue and references standard 301 directly. That's a big help. And then it provides a target score of between 43 and 47, depending on climate zone and without accounting for renewable energy. So with renewable energy, the requirement would be that you have an ERI score of zero when renewables are included, but a 43 to a 47 just based on efficiency. So I think that this ResNet supports the movement toward net zero, and this appendix, I think, will be useful for many jurisdictions that want to set their construction, residential construction, on that path to net zero. I think it's a great option in the code. Yeah, it puts it together in a mean that has some scrutiny across the industry. So what's coming next? What's coming down the road? You know, I mentioned earlier that 2021 should be published later in probably the fall of 2020. and Unfortunately, it's very strange. When you have a a net zero energy appendix that has target numbers that are almost the same as the base code in terms of ERI, it's clearly a lopsided path. So there's still the prescriptive option in the code. There's still the performance option. I see the performance option. And from what I hear from raters, that's more popular right now in the 2018 code than it is to use ERI because it's just a little bit easier to obtain. What it comes down to is raters are trusted by the builders that they work with. If they're involved in helping that builder do code compliance, they have many arrows in their quiver and they can choose to use the prescriptive path or the performance path, or they can use the UA trade-off like res check, which is another option. So raters can choose the path that's most cost-effective for their builders. And I'm pretty confident that for most of them, it's not going to be the energy rating index path. But that's okay, because what's important is that we still have raters that are involved with builders on code compliance. And with the new, we have over 200 raters that have achieved the new IECC HERS compliance specialist certification. 
which is a joint certification between ResNet and ICC. And so having that, we believe that Raiders are going to be even more involved in code compliance. And we're working right now on a full program where R405, which is the performance path, can really be used by Raiders for code compliance. And we'll be pushing hard through 2020 and into 2021 to get Raiders even more involved in code compliance across the country. Nice. There's a lot of collaboration, cooperation going on there. At this point, what's your next thing to get involved with regard to codes? Just you personally. More on the compliance side. So in terms of ResNet priorities on energy codes, right now we're anticipating less involvement on the national code development side and more involvement on compliance. And we think that that's a really good fit for ResNet with an infrastructure of 2,500 certified HERS raters and rating field inspectors across the U.S. We're really well positioned to be a go-to source for code officials. And as we've seen studies come out, code officials are, are an aging group. There's not a lot of young talent that is moving into that profession. So we see a need where code officials can kind of outsource their energy code to HERS raters and I think that that's really where ResNet's attention is going to be focused over the next 12 to 18 months in making that happen. And on the development side, when the next cycle comes around for the 2024 code, I won't say we won't be involved, but I think our involvement will even be less than it was in the 2021 code development cycle. That's a lot of information to digest. And I really appreciate your perspective and your depth of experience to bring this out. And if someone wants to reach you directly, has a question, can we get an email address? Yep. Ryan at resnet.us. Okay. Very good. And we encourage the listeners to reach out to Ryan or to go to the ResNet website to look at the blog post, especially on the comparison of the ERI versus the HERS rating. And I want to thank you again for coming on here today, Ryan, and I want to thank the listeners for listening in. Yeah. Thanks for having me on, Bill. We want to thank you for listening to today's episode of the Res Talk podcast. We hope you listened to a few things that got your brain going about the code development process and the code changes. If you're a pro in the building market, surf on over to resnet.us slash professional to learn more or join the email list. You can also find ResNet on Facebook or Twitter. The handle is ResNetUS, R-E-S-N-E-T-U-S. A quote that goes along with the topic today is from Noam Chomsky. Changes in progress are very rarely gifts from above. They come out of the struggles from below. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. And if you've not subscribed, please do so. And as always, we thank you for listening to Res Talk. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Res Talk podcast. This podcast is hosted by Bill Spone and is a production of ResNet, the Residential Energy Services Network. The best way to listen to this podcast is to subscribe on an iPhone using the podcast app or on an Android device by downloading the Stitcher app and searching for ResTalk. If you are willing, a review on iTunes of the podcast app will help others find the show and would be very much appreciated. We look forward to talking again soon on ResTalk.